0: Last week, I had an amazing opportunity to go to WinCo and shop for food. Yes. Um, it's not something I normally do. I normally consume food, as you can see. However, uh, I had to stop by get some things, and so my wife, Mary Beth, sent me a text with some items to get. And uh, here, here was, this was my adventure. It was it was otherworldly. It was out of this world, actually. Um, I drive into the Winco parking lot over here by the church, and uh, there's no place to park because it's packed, and there are cars with uh, you know brake lights. They're waiting, and then you know backup lights. They're gonna. Back Back up, and there are people in there, so I'm, you know, maneuvering around the crowd, not hitting anybody, that's a good thing, you know, they teach in driving school, but I, f- I end up parking on the outer rim of the galaxy, um, several solar systems away, and made my way in finally, and then I get a little basket, and I work my way through the crowd, and there's a pressing crowd, it's like, I don't know what happened, but everybody in Hillsborough decided to shop that afternoon, I get there, and I work through, and I know where some items are, and then I'm confused about other items, and so I'm asking the question, I look around for someone and I see two uh, people that are stocking shelves, standing there talking, having a conversation about something. And I just stand there and say, hey, I have a question. What about this? And they're like, well on the sign, you moron. That's not what they said. That's what I heard. Um, and so I went over there and I couldn't find it. And I, you know, I had to actually call my wife at one point and the stress and anxiety was rising up in me as I'm not figuring out what should be really easy, okay? And, uh, and so I finally get it and I grab everything and I'm working my way through everybody with their carts and I get to the front and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Lines are just backed up. So I go to the self-checkout. Half of those are not working as clerks are being required to clear the computer because some people do not know how to scan a code and then put it down because there's a time issue here. If you scan it and stand there, the computer just shuts down, right? Or if you don't put it in your bag or uh, anyway, so they clear that, I get all that stuff, I go out to my car and I sit there, I'm like, Lord, that's why I don't shop. Thank you so much. It's crazy how a little bit of that, I don't like shopping to be frank, I don't, I mean, I'll go to the mall to hang out with the family, you know, uh, have something there, but the fact is, I don't really enjoy that because that's like life. It's the hustle and bustle and the incessant pressing in the demands, the crush of the crowd, and you need to go from here to there, right? And I, I just, I just that's life. Why would I do that on my free time? You and I live in a world that's much like that, experience. We we jump into the rat race and we jump in and we hop on that treadmill of activity and we pursue it. I know it's what we do. It's part of life. I get it. Whether we're in school or whether we've got a job, whatever it looks like, we've got this incessant list of demands upon us. And it's really hard to enter into rest when we're in that mode. And so we've been in this series uh, just about being refreshed, enjoying God's gift of the Sabbath. And so What I I want to remind you of today is the fact that he is Father God, and he has a great desire for your life and for my life. And even when the world that we have created is going the polar opposite of what he wants, he whispers and invites us into a different way of life, a different lifestyle that, at least in this conversation, is counterintuitive and today even counterproductive. But that's okay. I was reading Fast Company this last week Doing some research on this idea of hurriness. And Fast Company is a magazine online uh, Really enjoyed it throughout the years And here are a couple uh, pull-outs from some articles Today, so many people are working insane hours I'll reference that in a bit That magazine's publish guides on how to cope Today, technology means that we're available 24-7 David Solomon By the way, isn't that an awesome name? David Solomon, that's a cool name Okay, Uh, the global co-head of investment banking at Goldman Sachs told the New Yorker last year, there are no boundaries, no breaks. I remember when I first bought a laptop. I was living in Boise. It was my first laptop, my first, like, I could take it with me without 25 pounds of battery. You know what I mean? And, uh, And I remember that. It's like, wow, the freedom I will have now with a laptop. And those of you that were given a laptop by work know that it's not freedom. It's bondage, right? When we got our little devices, our phones, our tablets, we're like, this is gonna be so great. I remember my Palm Pilot days, and then I got a trio which had a little cell phone bump on it, and I could, you know, I could do that, it was exciting. And then, you know, the iPhone, the Samsung days, and where now we've got smartphones and devices that, to be honest, they're no longer freeing us up, they're shackling us down, they're burdening us with always on, always connected, never-ending pressing demands. Uh, another article from Fast Company. With this trend towards long hours and higher pay, what will be the impact on people? Now, research research has indicated and identified reduced sleep. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Reduced sleep. Okay, because of work. Uh, increased stress. Anybody? Not just going to Winco, but in life. Okay. Increased stress. Less happiness. That's kind of tough. I would argue that all of our media, social media, is creating that. I was reading one Instagram star, uh, someone who's kind of okay popular in music. She no longer is connected on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter because she said, I'm a much more peaceful person without it. It causes me anxiety internally. And it causes that outward stress and anxiety of what people think about me to press down on people. So it does. It creates a lot more stress, less happiness, lower productivity. How could that be? We're working more, right? And then finally, poor health and higher chances for injuring yourself and others when the workday expands. Now, into this conversation, the reality for you and for me is that some of us actually need to work more. You know, some of us maybe are a little more on the lazy scale. We need to work more. I would say the majority of us, if we're caught in the American culture, we need to find a way to work less or to work in a wiser way. Um, Work weeks vary depending on culture, depending on life and the number of days. We have what's called a 40-hour work week, or or that's the desire, right? 100, 200 years ago, starting in Great Britain, they were arguing for the 40-hour work week that you would only work eight hours a day. Because back then you were working ten. to 14, to 16 hours a day. That's back when they didn't have the child labor laws, so children were working those hours as well in factories. And so the uh, unions got together and said, we need to, you know, vie for this, argue for this, get this less work. Well, so 40 hours a week, but the average is now in the United States up to 49 hours a week. And some of you would say, eight hours a day. Man, I work 10 or 12 hours a day. Now, it's interesting if you study history. I, I've loved this this little study that was done in the 1960s. Congress put together a subcommittee, which means they're spending our money. And um, what were they spending our money on? Well, finding out about the future. And in the 1960s, now, some of you, that was like, you know, black and white, you know, pictures. Others, you were there, and it actually had color to it. And so the 1960s, this committee said that with all of our time-saving devices, now, what is, what's that even? You know, I mean, we have more in our smartphone than what sent man to the moon, right? More technology is in the palm of our hands or in our pocket. Well, with all the time-saving technologies, they didn't even know about the desktop personal computer. They didn't know about all the things that we would have. They didn't know about the Internet. With all of our time-saving technologies, the American worker will be working in the year 2000 14 hours a week. A week, not a day, a week. But I would argue that with all of our time-saving devices, we work 14 hours a day. Because if we were to be honest, when we pick up the phone and check work email, when we answer, when we reply, when we are in work mode, whether that's official work or not, it is work, and all of a sudden, we are working nonstop. I, I, I don't get it, but Elon Musk, you know, famous because of Tesla and all those myriads of other companies he has, he has argued for the 120-hour work week, and he says, he testifies that 10 or 15 years, the last 10 or 15 years of his life, he has averaged 100 hours a week. If you're working 100, 120 hours a week, you're working seven days, and you're working 10 to 17 hours a day. What do you do? He says, well, sometimes I just sleep on the production floor. Okay. See, God doesn't want that. Okay? Okay. God bless you if you have a Tesla, that's fine. Okay. God doesn't want that devotion to work. I mean, he wants us to work. Work is a part of the creation. Work isn't a part of the curse. The, the difficulty of work is a part of the curse. But work is what we're wired for. We are a people that God has made productive, that God has given us ingenuity and brilliance to do the things that we do. And it's amazing what we see in our culture today. Just imagine what we have seen in the last 50 years and what our children and grandchildren and on will see in the next 50 years. That is all because God has given us the ability to utilize our hearts, our minds, all of that aspect, okay? But when do we say no? When do we curb our appetite for more? When do we stop? When do we slow down? Well, the Bible talks about this a lot because God stopped. And this is what we started with our first week is from Genesis chapter 2. God creates everything. So God... Created everything. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. He took six days. He makes everything. It's right there in Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is just like a rephrasing of all that. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation, all his work of creation. So two words we've pulled out. First is the word rest. It doesn't mean to take a nap, although that's glorious if you can get that. Okay, I hope to get one on Sunday afternoon today. Uh, that is a form of our rest. But for God, rest means to cease, to assist, uh, to s- just to stop doing the work. So that's what rest means, It's to stop whatever is work. And I, I was advocating, and throughout this series, I'm not adic- advocating for a religious type Sabbath, but a ritual relationship type of Sabbath. So to to rest means to actually cease, desist. I think it's on the slide there. To cease, desist, or to basically give up hoping for the slide to be there. Yeah, there we go, rest, pause or rest. Okay, that's rest. What does it mean when it comes to holy, though? Holy means to set apart as sacred for a specific purpose. And so God ceased. He wasn't worn out from creation. He ceased. He was done. And that seventh day being Saturday, the Sabbath, he declared holy. Holy meaning, yeah, one day there are going to be people that are holy. One day there are going to be buildings that are holy. One day there are going to be mountains that are holy. But the first holy thing, uh, other than God, the first holy thing declared holy is a day, a 24-hour time period. And this idea of holiness is just this really beautiful picture of set apart specifically for a purpose. And God said, my day of ceasing... Is now going to be your day of ceasing. And so God built in this regular rhythm of rest. And we began by looking at that Sabbath as rest. God wants us to have rest. Again, my simple definition of rest is the opposite of work. So whatever's work, that's not rest, you know, okay? So it, whatever is work for you, then that's not rest. Yesterday I went on my Sabbath. I went for a motorcycle ride with some friends, and we went out to Hag Lake. And there were some, you know, younger riders. We cruised around a little bit, went to the Wapato Showdown, the car show, walked around. You know, it was a beautiful sunny day, and a couple hours there. Came back home, uh, ended up hanging out in the barn, working on a table base for a a breakfast nook we've been building. And one of my sons came out and helped me, and we're using a, you know, chop saw and teaching about angles and teaching about this and. Fired the compressor up and got the jig out and all that stuff. You know, we were using electricity, okay? To some of you go, that's a lot of work. It was not work for me. It was joy. It was rest. Hanging out with my son, doing all that was a lot of fun, okay? There was dust in the air. There was a little bit of sweat. But that's okay because it wasn't work. So find out what is work, what drains you. Don't do that for a day. Knock that off and find a way to actually find some rest. Uh, you know, again, I've shared my wife and I will go for a run, or we'll get some yard work done or our activity, but that is not work for us on that day. It's rest, right? We start, and I'll share some ideas of what our family does. On Friday night, when we have a meal and some time together and some routines, some rituals that we do, that is not work. That is a, a way to delineate from work to rest. So that's what it means to declare something set apart. And for God, it, it means it's holy, okay? So when we think about this, and my desire for this series on the sabbath is simply this is that number one that each of us would take time to examine our lives our work schedule our rhythms and routines and to find out if we're living a pace that is faster than god wants for us and number two then to actually put into practice some habits Some rhythms, routines, some rituals, as you were, would be. And just to say, you know, this is going to be a day of rest. I'm going to declare this special set apart for me. Now, last week we looked at the first passage of the Bible that talks about The Sabbath, Exodus 16, and we saw this not as rest, but as reliance upon God. So the first week, Sabbath is rest. The second week, Sabbath is reliance upon God because God's not going to give manna on the seventh day, and you get more on the day before, and it's just a way to trust God. And God promises to show up that way. Today, though, we're going to fight back. We're going to look at the Sabbath as resistance. We're going to look at the Sabbath as actually something that is an offense to the culture in which we live in. And if we want to grow in discipleship to be more like Jesus, we're going to learn that sometimes it's hard to say no. But if God tells us to say no, we've got to fight the stream against the the flow of where we are. Well, the passage that we see today is Exodus 20, and we all know it as the Ten Commandments. And, you know, we like the Ten Commandments. We don't know them all, if you were to take a poll. We know some of them, you know, uh, like do not murder. We're all in agreement. That's still pretty valid, right? Don't murder. Okay? Things like don't lie, that's that's good. Don't use the name of the Lord, uh, our God, in vain. Well, people do it all the time, but that's not a good thing. Don't commit adultery, you know, all that stuff. Those are the Ten Commandments. We know those, all right? Uh, Some of those are directed to God and his holiness, and some are related to the relationship of those around us and the holiness of those relationships, okay? So God gives his Ten Commandments, but for some reason... Followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, have taken the Ten Commandments and we've gotten our favorite highlighter color, blackout, and we've marked out the fourth command. And we said, well, those are all good except that one. I've actually heard sermons where pastors have got up and preached saying, we no longer have to practice Sabbath. That was only for the Jewish people. That was only in the New Testament. It's not for Christians. I'm not even going to begin to argue that and against that. Because I don't believe that to be true. I know that the principles and the laws that gave the Jewish people were specific. I get all that. But even Jesus celebrated the Sabbath. And what I want to argue towards is that when you put God to the test on this, and when you build some rhythms of rest in your life, you will be blessed because it is not a burden. I've heard preachers say that the Sabbath is a burden. It can be. Just like anything could be a burden. But it's not... Something that God wants for us to look at and have our heart filled with drudgery and go, now I can't do all these things. It's something that God wants us to fill our heart with delight because now we get a special, sacred, holy time to focus on those things, those people that matter most to us and God himself. And so in this series, I'm advocating for that. And today I want to talk about the cost of that, the expense of that, if we actually put this into practice now in Exodus 20 we read the Ten Commandments and it starts with these words in uh, chapter 20 verse 2 I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt the place of your slavery before God gives his list his commands he says hey just just a second I just want to remind you who I am now it hasn't been that long right if you look at the chronology, they were in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves during that time period. Through Moses, God rescued them out, delivered them with the plagues, and they went to this you know, beginning journey where they're up against a wall of water, and God parts the water, and they go through the Red Sea, and they end up in this desert area. God provides for them water and bread, the manna, and they get to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And they're at this mountain, and God then delivers his commands his Torah, his teaching, his heart for his people. Because, again, he's trying to take a slave people who've only known slavery, generational slavery, to now be free people, okay? And so in many ways, he treats them like children. That's what they call called, the children of Israel, right? Because that is, that is how they are. They haven't governed themselves. And so he's giving them the governing identity. And so he lays out these commands. But before he does it, he says, just don't forget who I am. And don't forget who you were. I'm the true God. There were a lot of gods in Egypt and goddesses. There were river gods. There were hill gods. There were desert gods. There were sky gods. There were gods everywhere. There were temples everywhere. If you ever ever have a chance to go, massive temples and structures to the varying deities that they had. God says, those were all false gods. And remember who I am. I'm the real God. So with that as a, a foundation, he says, also don't forget who you were. You were slaves. You were slaves making bricks for a taskmaster, for a pharaoh. There was a God in Egypt known as Pharaoh, and you were his slaves. And you had no rights, and you had no freedoms, and you had no rest. All you had was bondage. But you're not that anymore, and I'm not that God. I'm the real God, the true God. And I want to give you these commands, and now you don't have to live in slavery. Remember that you used to live for a whole culture that only viewed you for what you could produce. You made bricks. You made cities. You made storehouses for all of the Pharaoh's wealth. Your only value was in what you produced. But you're not that anymore. You're different now. You're my children. You're my sons. You're my daughter, daughters. I have rescued you out of slavery. Don't forget that. And then God goes on to give the commands, you know, about no false gods, images, misusing God's name. And the fourth commandment is where we see this idea of Sabbath codified into law, that God's day of holiness would become his children's day of holiness. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. The same words, the idea of rest, the idea of ceasing or Sabbath. This is what God says every day. Love me, honor me, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't do all those things. Hey, every seventh day, knock it off. This is what I want you to do every seventh day. Thou shalt do nothing, okay? That's kind of a cool command. Wouldn't that be cool? Go home and go, thou shalt do nothing. Now, next week, we're going to see how far this extends, how deep this goes, and the the breadth of it and what that does for a whole culture. But God says, on this day, just stop. Just stop all the incessant activity. He's going to send them into a land where there's flowing milk and honey and the blessings of God. But don't ever forget that I want you to learn to rest. God says something very literally which would change your life and my life. Every seventh day, just stop. Just knock it off. Just don't do any work. He says, on that day, no one in your household may do any work. That includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and foreigners living among you. Most of us sit there and go, well, that, nah, that's a list I don't have, you know. Maybe workers, you know, if you're a boss or employer. Livestock, you know, your animals, although cats... Pretty much Sabbath 24-7. Any foreigners living among you? People, you know, in your homes? For in six days, here's the reiteration, here's the foundation why. In six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he ceased. He stopped. He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, the ceasing day, and set it apart as holy. As a very sacred thing. Now... If you've ever thought about this, if you've ever read the Ten Commandments, it's kind of striking when you start adding up the words. This command, out of ten, this takes up over 30% of all the words. This is a pretty significant command. And that's why it's always struck me as very fascinating when Christians come with their black highlighter and mark out one-third of the Ten Commandments. I just don't think we should be doing that. Now, again, I'm not advocating for religion. I'm advocating for rituals that will help us. We live in a non-stop society. We multitask to achieve more, to possess more, to accomplish and you know, just conquer more. That's what we do as people. But then our work demands more work, right? And God says, those are fine routines for six days a week. Do what you need to do to make a living. But this day set it apart is holy. Now, if you've ever had the privilege and it is a privilege to leave the United States and go see the world from the outside in to go to different country like Bethany went to Gambia I've gone to East Africa West Africa if you've ever gone to a different place you'll notice that our culture is really weird I mean it is it's weird it is strange we drive ourselves to exhaustion and yet we have so much we have more than any other culture in the world we possess more. We have bigger homes than any other people in the world. I mean, there's the minuscule whatever percent of the wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, but we're up there. We really are up there. Our homes are bigger. We have cars. Our cars are nice. We have more cars. Our closets are bigger. People live in homes the size of our walk-in closets around the world, and yet we're never truly satisfied, and so we're a people that keep working more so we can buy more. We produce more so we can consume more, and it's never enough, and it's a It's an endless cycle. It's like that hamster in the wheel just keeps going round and round and round. And we don't get off of the wheel. And what's funny is that in a world where, you know, everybody's in the rat race, it disrupts everything when all the rats decide to take a nap, right? And God says, you're not rats. You're not on a wheel. You're not on a treadmill. But I do want you to stop. What would that cost you? if you stopped, relationally, emotionally, financially, if you said, I'm not going to work, my fingers to the bone. Some of you, you need more work. You need more money, right? Others, y- you have enough, but for some reason, the culture you live in, the work culture is just incessant. It's always, always, always reaching out to you. What would it look like? Well, I, I, think, I think this right here is a good picture. This is a brick and uh, this is from our One Brick at a Time campaign that helped build this place, which is really cool. Retrofit everything in here. And um, this, this brick is, I'll say, a metaphor for what you do at work. For some of you at school, this brick is like a term paper, okay, and it's heavy, right? I had a very heavy brick on me, a dissertation paper, a whole thesis of a couple hundred pages that was due a few years ago, and this was a heavy load to carry, right? This brick just kept smashing me in the head all the time. For some of you, it's school. For some of you, it's work. For some of you, it's uh, the, the very nature of your work. The brick represents people, represents maybe people above you, people below you, or it represents a product. That you create. Uh, maybe your brick is not made out of something physical like this. Maybe it's electronic. Maybe it is, but your brick is made of silicon, okay, or something like that. Your brick is all the relationships of the people you manage. But think about this from the metaphor of brick. So in the land of Egypt, as slaves, this was what they made. Their whole value, their entirety of their image was just more of this. That's who they were. They saw themselves this way, and everybody else saw them that way. They were slaves who made more bricks. In a land of slavery, your only value is producing more bricks. That's it. That's that's your value to society. And if you can make more bricks, better bricks, shinier bricks, faster bricks, more advanced bricks, then you have more value in our culture. But if you stop making bricks or your production of bricks goes down, Or one day, you get to the point where you say, I'm just sick and tired of making bricks. I'm going to go make some clay pigeons or birds or bowls or cups. It's like, no, no, that's not acceptable because we need more bricks. Why do we need more bricks? Because we are in a world that not only produces, but a world that is incessantly consuming. And we're just slaves sometimes. When your only value is making more, producing, then the end result is we end up consuming more. And we in our culture are on an endless treadmill of producing and consuming. And so we actually create a culture that eats up all of our free time so that we can have more to have free time. It's kind of crazy. When you stop for one day and you cease all production, when you rest and reflect on God, that is a direct threat to the system in which we live. When you... When you celebrate a day of ceasing, other people won't understand. I mean, if the slaves were to say, hey, we're going to take a week off, now that just sounds not work. Do, do you understand that we have a building to finish? We have a city to finish? We have a monument to somebody else's greatness to finish? The value of your life, though, is not defined your product, by your production and consumption of goods and services. But that's the world we live in. I mean, why do you have a job? Well, so you can move out of your parents' home, right? Yeah. Okay, you go to school, you get a college degree, okay, or you, you jump right in the workforce. Why do you do that? Well, so that you can actually, you know, make some money and you can live and you can apartment and maybe, maybe you get married and maybe you have kids and, you know, you, you do all these things and you have cars and you have homes and you do all this, you know, and the, the reality is that is this endless cycle that if we're not careful actually takes the very life that God has given us away. I love this story. It's, it's, it's an old joke, but it's, it's, it's so good a very wealthy financial uh, finance manager from New York was down on the beaches of Mexico just enjoying a a vacation away from everything, and he's observing every day this fisherman that goes out, and he's got his little boat, and he's on his own, and he's, he goes out there, and a couple hours later, he comes back with a, a catch of fish, and he sells some at the market. He has some for the home, and so the the, the wealthy guy comes up, and he, he's older. He's got gray hair. He knows a lot. He goes, hey, I've been noticing what you do here, and you're very successful at that. He goes, yeah, well, I make you know enough money to feed my family. He goes, well, tell me about your life. Well, Uh, You know, I go out and sleep in in the morning, and then I go fish for a couple hours, and I bring back enough, and I give some to the wife or the family and for meals, and then I go sell some and have just enough to go to the bar and get some tequila and grab my guitar and play some songs at night to my wife, and it's kind of, you know, it's my life, and the guy says, you know what, you're successful, though. I bet you if you were to uh, get a couple more workers, you could haul in that much more. You could even buy some more boats. I, I, with my ingenuity, you could start a whole industry here. It looks like it's just ripe for the picking where you could just master control all this. The guy says, well, what would I do? He goes, well, that's the great part. You would end up saving all this money. You would end up finally selling the business and then what? He goes, well, then you would retire and you would live on a little you know, beach in Mexico where you could sleep in and just fish to your heart's content and go out and drink tequila and play, you know, music at night. He's like, well, that's what I do now. (laughs) Have we ever stopped to examine the absurdity of the endless cycle of production and consumption to where we could actually say, you know what, I'm just going to slow down or I'm actually going to cease one day of this. See, again, I think we forget We have a heavenly Father who cares for all of our needs. Jesus brought this up so well in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. You know, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't they more, far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries at a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And and the fact that you have a Heavenly Father that knows all your needs and promises to, to provide for you. Why do you have so little faith? So, he says, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And you and I, we've got to fess up to this. We live in a world that is just dominated by the endless production and consumption of goods and services. And we get caught in it. And we stress about it and worry about it. And we go Crazy. Just like everybody else. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Bottom line, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Put God first in your life. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Matthew 6, 25 to 33. Did you catch it? Jesus is inviting you and me out of a life of endless worry about if we're going to have enough. To realize that if God truly is our Father, we put our trust in him. We already have enough. It's about trusting. Now, I read a a book a number of years ago. I thought it was great by Walter Brueggemann, a theologian, and it was called The Sabbath as Resistance, and it was great. And um, I've got two points I pulled out of the book I want to share with you. Number one, if you think about this, number one, we resist endless production and consumption. When we practice Sabbath, we basically say no to the world. Now, it's hard to do when the world is spinning and we stop. Um, When I was a kid... My grandparents, they practiced blue laws. I'm not advocating for that. But, um, you know, the reality was you couldn't go shopping because the stores were closed down. And then when stores started opening up, it was more religious, and they said, you can't. And if you got caught in a store, you'd be in trouble with the church elders or whatever. And I'm I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about the fact that maybe just taking a day off is a good thing for you. Uh, on Friday, I was uh, looking online for a, a travel tripod, a lightweight, you know, carbon fiber tripod to take with me to do some photos and things like that on my travels. And I want something small and light and the whole deal. So I went to my favorite place, B&H Photo, and it's a great place. It got good deals and, you know, shows up in a couple days. And so, you know, I just kind of look around, bookmark a couple sites, put something in the cart that might work, and then read reviews. Well, I, I went back on it yesterday morning to buy it, and I remembered, oh, I can't buy it. It's the Sabbath. BH Photo is owned by uh, a Jewish family, and uh, you can't buy anything from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. And they have a sign, and it's a little ticking countdown. They'll go, So you can purchase again in two hours and 31 minutes, or you better purchase this in the next 27 minutes because we're shutting down. And they do. Um, have you ever had a flat tire on Sunday and you go to Les Schwab? Well, that's not convenient, right? Because they're not open on Sundays. Now, to get real personal, have you ever had a hankering for a chicken sandwich on Sunday? I know that that hits home. But I mean, and then you have to go someplace else because Chick-fil-A is closed. Somebody just said Popeye's. That's fine. I think it's blasphemy, but that's okay. Uh, You see, there are whole companies that shut down. Why? Because they say we value our workers more than the bottom line of money. Now, what would that look like if we did that as human beings, if families did that? They've chosen a value, and they've stuck with it. Secondly, Brueggemann points out, we resist identification with activity, and here's the kicker right here. It is really hard to separate ourselves from the culture in which we live, the incessant buying, making, the roundabout that we do over and over again, more, more, more. It's hard because we identify with the latest and the greatest. We want the newest, and that becomes... That little trinket, that little brass ring that's always out in front of us that we reach for. And my friends, there can be no Sabbath rest in a culture of endless production, consumption, and activity. Next week, we'll talk more about this. I'll give you some practicals over the next few weeks. But the bottom line is this. God's not a workaholic. He's done some amazing work, that's for sure. And he's done amazing work. But God is okay with rest. In fact, he's more than okay with rest. He commands rest. Jesus modeled that rest. God says, stop. And if you could take anything away from this message in the last three weeks, it's God cares for you. And because he cares for you as a father, he says, I want to teach you something about rest. Now, in closing, here's what I, I want to do. I want you to think about the bricks that you make. I don't even know what that looks like for you um it might be well for me like a sermon they're bricks every week got to make a new brick you know um it might be a meeting it might be a phone call might be an email might be uh, a class it might be whatever you make bricks you know whatever they're made of metaphorically speaking you all produce bricks okay let's close our eyes now with that in mind think about that whatever it is that you make that you produce Do you ever worry about not having enough of that, enough bricks? Do you ever fall asleep, stressed, over wondering if you'll make your brick quota? Uh, Do you have dreams about all the bricks you want to make? Do you ever wonder if your bricks are good enough, somebody else is making better bricks? Do you maybe worry that somebody else has more bricks than you? you get more excited about making bricks than spending time with your family or with your God? Is your identity nothing more than making bricks? Are you at the point where you hope you have a life apart from bricks? See, you're not a brick maker, my friend. You're a son and a daughter. Yeah, we make bricks, but that's not our identity. Our identity is children of God. And we're a part of the culture, and we make bricks, I get it. But that's not who we are. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're no longer slaves. We no longer have to fear having enough, making enough, consuming enough, being wrapped up in enough. Our Heavenly Father has invited us to depend upon Him, to trust in Him, and to take on that identity as a son or daughter. We have been invited into God's Sabbath rest. We have been redeemed from our slavery to sin. And Jesus has come down and has freed us and given us a new life. And because of Jesus, we have a new identity. And it's not in what we make or produce or how well we perform. It's in Jesus and what he's done for us already. You know, we're not beasts of burden. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father God, for some of us, there is a great stress because we're not making enough bricks. For others, we have so many bricks, it's ridiculous. We check our bank account and the bricks are piled up. And yet somehow we just are in that cycle. What would it look like, fathers, if you spoke to us and we separated ourselves from that cultural identity as a slave and lived differently and ceased for one day and we resisted the urge to make or buy for just one day and we disrupted the normal flow of our lives so that you would show up in a beautiful way? and ourselves, our families, and our friends. God, show us that, because you want us to have rest. We pray in your name. Amen.